Well, we'll be in Exodus 15, so if you open your Bibles to there. Exodus 15. This was the sermon I was planning to give uh, four to five weeks ago when I came, and God said, change it, and so I changed it. And so uh, I changed it again this morning really early, uh, but it's where it needs to be now. Let's pray for just a few moments. Father, give us ears to hear your voice, not me, but your voice. Give us applications that we can take with us and apply to our lives this week and on. Give us hearts filled with thanksgiving for those who have gone before us and paid the ultimate price on the battlefield and who are still serving in the military. Father, let us be grateful for what you've done in our nation and the freedoms you've given us and that we still have the freedom to worship. Help us to give you glory and honor in all. In his name we pray. Amen. This sermon is, that's loud, this sermon is uh, one of the chapters in my book called Corners I've been working on, and uh, I haven't had much time to work on it lately, but I'm making progress. I originally did the study years ago, 30 or 40 years ago, and uh, I taught it in a church I was ministering in years ago, and I'm finally coming back to it, and so that's where we're at. And um, and so there's some Old Testament stuff I need to cover because that's where we're going to be. But within the books of Exodus and Numbers, there are three significant references to the number 10. There are 10 plagues in Egypt. There are 10 commandments at Mount Sinai. And there are 10 tests of God that are addressed at Kadesh Barnea. And if you turn with me to Numbers chapter 14, and you would imagine a statistician would be infatuated with the book of Numbers, and I am. Numbers 14, verse 22. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and the signs which I performed in Egypt and the wilderness yet have put me to test these ten times and have not listened to my voice. We need to be listening to God's voice. I need you to give some background. When the sons of Israel came out of Egypt, do you know how many there were? It's as many people in Nashville and the seven surrounding counties. Two million plus. Going down Interstate 40. Plus, they had livestock. In my estimate of livestock from several places that I've been able to piece together, and statisticians know how to put together a good estimate, 
anywhere from 500,000 to a million sheep, cattle, donkeys, and so forth. Think of all that. Going down the interstate. It's humongous. See, we, we read those words, we don't think about how great God is. And that's what I want to do with this. I want you to see that God is bigger than where you're at. He can handle it. Wow. And so they had ten plagues in Egypt. First three didn't affect it affected the sons of Israel. The next seven affected only the Egyptians. Do you realize how frequently those miracles occur? They were within, within either three to five months. So that means there were either two of those a month or three of those a month. Think about that. The miracles they saw. You see miracles all the time. Do you recognize them? They didn't. Wow. Oh, wow. And then there are ten tests in the wilderness. And the first one starts at the Red Sea. And I'm not going to cover that one because you think you know that one, but I'll come back and visit that one later and you'll find that you really don't know that one. Well, I'm going to start the second one. Ten tests in the wilderness. And many commentaries don't even agree on what the ten are. That was my thesis at Dallas Seminary. We spent a year investigating the ten. And so not only did they see all those miracles, remember though, when they left Egypt, they had the cloud by day, the fire by night. What miracles? Can you imagine a cloud by day, fire by night? And the word for test in the Old Testament is used of God testing his people. The words Nasa. God tested Abraham's heart in offering his son. Testing is God's priority, perspective. It is not our privilege to test God. And that's what the sons of Israel did. Now when we think about it, it used to be that I was in the, when I was going through the Old Testament, I was a little always hard on the sons of Israel. But let me paint a picture I jotted down this morning. In Egypt, the sons of Israel were in sad shape. They, are, they were oppressed, slaves without hope. Hmm, sound familiar? Totally ignorant of the things of God. Quarrelsome, bitter about their lot, addicted to the idols of Egypt. God could not take them directly from Egypt to Canaan. He needed time to prepare them. In evangelism, we need to realize how deep damaging the bondage of sin is. You've got to understand, these people were in Egypt 430 years. 
the last three centuries or more, they were slaves. Do you realize how that affects generations? Generation after generation, it, it just damages. I mean, I'm grateful I came out of a family where my father knew the Lord, and I think my mom finally did. There was a Christian family, but the problem was there wasn't any power in it. And my wife and I, because we got involved, and she came to know the Lord at the University of Texas, and we got involved with crusade, that was the biggest miracle happened for us because we came to understand the filling of the God's Spirit. That's where the power comes from. It's a daily walk with Him. And that's affected our lives forever. I'll never go back to anything less. Well, turn with me now. I have two verses I want to hit before I hit the text. See, you got to, I got to get all the background in. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be presumptuous about what you know. Turn to Exodus 13, just back a couple pages. And we'll look at verse 17. Now it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. Well, Deuteronomy tells us that journey was only 11 days. 11 days! But they've been slaves. You can't fight. If you've been a slave all your life, you don't know how to fight. And God did not want to test them beyond which they were able. But in my quiet time here recently, God spoke in another passage. Turn with me to Jeremiah. Chapter 2. You think, God, he must spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. I do. Jeremiah 2, verse 6. Let's see, is that where I'm at? Yeah, I'm not there yet. Sorry about that. Verse 6, And they did not say, Where's the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness? He led us through a land of deserts, of pits, a land of drought, and of deep darkness, through a land that no one crossed, where no man dwelt. Now, if the sons of Israel had been told that at first, I don't think they would have gone anywhere. Why? God wanted them to realize that you're going to have to trust me every day of the week. You're not going to have battle after battle. You've got to learn to trust me every day of the week for the little things and the big things. It is a relationship of dependence. There's no other way. 
And the prophets are full of little verses like that that give insight to other things in the scriptures. So we have this second test. So now let's go back and read Exodus because now we have the foundation to pull together. Exodus 15. And I would encourage you to read the whole psalm. Because of time, I won't. But I'll come back and refer to a couple of verses. But Exodus 15, the Song of Moses. A lot of people, when I used to teach out the Old Testament, they would say, well, the Old Testament has no mercy. There's no grace. What rock have you been under? Look at the mercy and grace that's here in the scriptures here. Verse 7, 15, And in the greatness of thine excellence thou dost overthrow those who rise up against thee. Verse 13, In thy loving kindness thou hast led thy people whom thou hast redeemed. In thy strength thou hast guided them to thy holy habitation. There's mercy in all that. The scriptures in the Old Testament, the picture of mercy is there. We just don't have eyes to see it. But let's read now our text. Starting verse 19. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and horsemen went in the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. And Miriam, the prophetess, Herod's sister, took the timbrel in hand, and all the women went out with her with timbrels and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was called named Merah. So the people grumbled at Moses, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it in the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statue and a regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, If you give earnest Heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight. Give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there beside the water. Well, Notice how Marion gets into singing and dancing. Do you realize she was 90 years old? I bet some of you that are 20 years younger can't do what she did. Dancing. And the word them there is, covers male and female. It was an interchange between both. They were praising the Lord for what miracle they had seen. And we've seen a tremendous miracle too. The miracle of salvation in our lives. We ought to be singing that way. That's how come I tell people, well, when I sing songs, I want songs I can remember because I repeat them to the Lord in the morning. I sing a lot when I walk and pray. And they're songs that stay with me. And so they sang a song. She was not restrained in her affections. And bondage and slavery and legalism choke out the joy of the Lord. 
that chokes it out. Well, let's look a little bit more at what we have here. They were three days. There's a problem of prayer and provision, if you're going by your notes. They were three days in the wilderness, and there was no water. Just three days. Three days from a miracle. Well, there was so much water, it judges all Israel, all the Egyptian army. My wife and I like to watch a certain TV show called The Homestead Rescue. Well, these people come in. I think, I think they're believers. I think there's a good sign that they're believers. These people are going to the homestead, and, and they try to get away from the environment and have their own livestock and away from people. There have been some in the Appalachians around here and all over across the country. But the sad thing is, so many of them don't have water. You can't last long without water. And so these guys come in and find ways to get them water. And you need to understand, a person needs about 2.5 liters per day of water. That's 5.5 pounds. If you want to carry water for three days, you have 17 pounds to carry. And that doesn't cover the livestock. That doesn't cover the livestock. And you need to realize that God is concerned about the animals. Go to Jonah and look what God tells Jonah. I remember all the people here, the young children here, and all the animals here. God is concerned about those animals. That's the reason why I rescue cats and foxes. My daughter rescues horses. He's concerned about that. We learn something about compassion there. So here they were. Water was too heavy. Livestock needed water. The water was bitter. The people grumbled at Moses. All he was doing was going where God told him to go. Nothing more. It wasn't his fault. So he prayed and cried out to the Lord. And there was a tree that cast in the water, and the waters became sweet. Beautiful picture of throwing the cross into any bitter situation. If the cross is not there, it stays bitter. But I want you to see something here. This is their first occasion on their leaving Egypt where they had a need for water. God's solution was a tree. The second occasion occurs a few months later. God told Moses to strike the rock. And if you read what the psalmist says, the waters came out like an ocean flood. The third occasion is later. It's recorded in Numbers 20, I think. And God told Moses to speak to the rock. But Moses didn't speak. He struck the rock because the need of the people was so great. Then the fourth time, recording in Numbers 22, they had a need for water at the place called Beer. And God told them to sing and dig. 
four times. There's no magic formula for getting the water. There's no magic formula. God's going to do it different every time. Repeat experiences are part of God's way. Well, will you trust me or are you trusting in the method? We can't trust in the method. When we're in a corner, our eyes better be up. Only up. And so God reverses the test. He says, he tests them with his own test. But what's interesting, he didn't give an unconditional promise. He gave a conditional promise. We love the unconditional. God loves me. We love those kinds of unconditional things, but when God puts some, well, you better obey on it, we don't like those conditional ones. If you'll keep earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, if you'll do what's right in his sight, and you give ear to the commandments, I will put none of the diseases on you which I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord your God, I am the Lord and your healer. And that word there for healer is Jehovah Rapha. It's one of the names of God. Guess what? Of the names of God, this is the tenth one. Interesting. It's the tenth one that's been revealed so far. And if you turn to Jeremiah 3.22... He says, return, O faithless sons, and I will heal your faithlessness. See, we always think, claim the name, the verse, God's my healer, heal our body. But we need healing in relationships. We need healing in communication. We need healing in expectations. We need, we need healing in spiritually, emotionally, physically. We need it all the way around. It's just not one realm. It's all realms. And after Mary came the pause that refreshes. Twelve springs of water, one for each tribe, 70 date palms. God knew Israel had need of such a refreshing time. All saints do. We all need the refreshing time. But you cannot stay at the waters of Elam. We've got to press on in the journey of sanctification and justification. The place of Elam is not portable, but the springs of living water and the Lord are shade. They are. They are portable no matter where we're at. Now, look at some of the applications. I, I, I want to challenge you. I'll cut some things out. I want you to challenge you to choose one of them, at least one of them, to reflect on this week. So number one, when hemmed in on all sides, we're confronted by our own inadequacy and God's total inexhaustible sufficiency. That's from Elizabeth Elliot. That holds for individuals and churches. Set your mind, your thoughts upon things above. The promises of God, the names of God, the character of God. Hey, you realize that you can have a prayer life built around the names of God? Choose a name. Jehovah Pro... Uh, what's the one? 
Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. Choose a name for a morning and pray through that name. Use that name for your present situation. You will come to a new realization how rich that is. It changes your prayer life. Number two, remember that fear, anxiety, and bitterness and our expectations can make the corner worse and hinder us from seeing God's solutions. Three, we need to recognize that each corner is really an act of love towards us from God. It's an act of love. To be in a corner is a good place to be because God's going to get our attention. If we see it from God's hand and respond by faith, our faith grows as does our true knowledge of Him. It's a good place to be. And you can reflect back on your life. Do you reflect back on your life of all the corners you've been in and how tough they were and how God delivered? We all have places we can look. Some of you are young, but you will have those places. God is in total control of our spiritual journey. That's why I like these passages like this. It's the journey. I'm interested in the journey. I love the journey in Acts. I love the journey of our Lord in, in the Gospels. That's the reason why I wrote that first book I gave away free here a few weeks back. It's the journey. God is in control of our spiritual journey from salvation to sanctification to glorification. It's a lifetime with no shortcuts, but we will be conformed to Christ. We will. Bitterness, beware. We'll all be faced with it many times. It's the enemy's tool to, to derail a saint or a church. We need to learn to toss the Christ, the cross of Christ into the middle of it. Several years ago, I was a professor coming out with tenure at Virginia Tech. If you understand anything about the academic problem process, it's a very complicated process. But usually, if you get by your department, and my department fully accepted me because of my research and the job I was doing, you're in. Well, they had just hired a new dean in arts and sciences, and he denied it. So my department went to the president of the university. This is not right. We've never had a situation like this. Overturn it. Well, he's new. We don't want to mess him up. He's He's a new guy in the block. He, he'll learn. So they didn't overturn it. He was there a year and gone. And a professor always looks for tenure. But God didn't want it for me and my family. He didn't want me trusting in tenure. He wanted me trusting in him. And so we've had some hard lessons to learn. But I've had to deal with that. If I hadn't dealt with that bitterness, I couldn't have moved on. And it's something that the cross of Jesus has to be in the center of it. And you've got to deal with it quickly because it'll come back and get you again and again and again. It sits there like a, 
A spear waiting to get you when you're not concerned, not aware of it. In Acts 13, there's descriptions, two descriptions given of David, and I'll let you go back for homework and find them. But it's, it's remarked that David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all of my will. God's looking for men like that and women. But not many are aware of the next verse, a little later in Acts 13. David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. And that's a verse for my life. I want to serve the generation that God's given me until I fall asleep. And you're all going to have to serve together for what you're going through. It's a corner. God's got you there. No surprises. A lot of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who's in total control. Your sovereignty, you've never lost control. You know where we're at. You know where our church is at. You know where families are at. You know where we're at. May we rest where we're at, see your hand, and get to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen.